Thank you for that song. That uh, fits well with what I have to share this morning. You know, we often pray that God would somehow be with us. But what about us being with him? You know, if God is not near, it isn't God who moved. You know, God is the same. If he is not close to you, it isn't his fault. Anyway, I have a title here. I'm uh, not as good at drawing as a lot of my family. So, I'm going to draw with words instead of pictures. And I believe that you can make the pictures in your mind. Right? So, there we have three words. Jesus is coming. What does that do in your mind? What pictures do you have? Clouds? Clouds? Yes. I thought one of the first things we're going to think with that title, Jesus is coming. We're going to think Jesus is coming in the clouds. Is he out there? Yeah. Because why, why do we think that? Why do we think that? That's right. When Jesus was living on this earth, after he was risen from the dead with his disciples for a few days, then they went out on the mountain and Jesus went up into heaven. And the disciples stood there gazing up into heaven like, never saw that before. By the way, you never saw that before either, did you? I didn't either. If I had seen that, I'd be looking up there too, wondering, is he coming back? You know? And that question was answered. Angels came and said, yes, he is going to come back just like you saw him go. He is going to come back in clouds just like you saw him go up there. He's going to return. Was that important? Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Does it make any difference in your life today that Jesus is coming again? Yes? No? (laughs) Sometimes I think it's no. Shouldn't be no. It should be yes. Jesus is coming. Uh, what if Jesus came today? Would you be ready? I hope so. Sometimes people think, well, I wouldn't want Jesus to come today. 
because, well, uh, I mean, I have some plans for tomorrow. I'd, I'd like to... Come on. Get a grip. Is anything you could plan for tomorrow better than heaven? You couldn't plan even your most wonderful vacation, even if you're getting married tomorrow? Nothing could touch heaven, right? Nothing's better than that. So, yeah, we shouldn't be afraid if he comes. The Bible says that, behold, he cometh in the clouds and, and what? Every eye shall see him. This is not something that's going to be done in a corner that people don't know about and you missed it. But every person will see it. You won't be missing it. I am thrilled with the many things that are in this Bible about the coming of Jesus. I think it is a very inspiring topic. We even have a whole book at the end of the book. The revelation of John. Revelation of Jesus Christ unto John. That describes how the end times are going to unfold. I think it's a wonderful book. I wonder how many times you read it. I wonder how many times you think about what is said in that book. The Bible says, actually in that book, Blessed is he that readeth and he that understandeth the words of the prophecy of this book. In other words, you get blessed just for reading it. Right? Wow. That's interesting. So I could spend a long time on Revelation. And unfortunately, I think we probably don't have as many messages on the book of Revelation as maybe we should have. Probably the reason why that is, is because Revelation is full of prophecy. And since it's prophecy, we are not 100% sure how to take those prophecies. You know, maybe some of the things are figurative and other things are literal. And how do you know? And so there has been a lot of argument by people who are strong-headed about things like that. And, you know, you have different views of prophecy. And and sometimes those views get a little tangled up. And... and uh, it actually sometimes makes more heat than light. And when that happens, that's not good. And so, to avoid all of that, many people just steer away from that book and don't talk about it. And I think that's a disaster. I think that's something that hurts us if we don't look at this because, well, we're not sure how to take it. I think we should look at it. Another word for this uh, book is called the Apocalypse. I don't know if that word brings all kinds of thoughts to your mind. 
apocalypse today often means, you know, all the dreadful things that are going to happen in the last days. Well, yeah, there are going to be some dreadful things that happened in the last days. And you should not be ignorant about it. In fact, you need to know about the dreadful things that are going to happen so that when those things begin to happen, you don't go to your rocks and mountains to cover you. But you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I think you have the right to do that. To look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Yeah, I think you should do that. Okay? So, all of those things are really good about the Jesus is coming. And I knew you would think about that first with those three words. And, uh, well, that's not what I'm going to preach about this morning. Although I could. I, I, I think it would be fun to do a, a whole message on that. Maybe someday I will. But I'm not going to be preaching about that this morning. Because there is probably even a more important way in which Jesus is coming. That was thought-provoking, wasn't it? More important. Yeah, I think so. Well, I was going to say yet before I switch gears here that, uh, you know, whether or not you're ready for Jesus to come again makes all the difference as to whether or not you look forward to it. Those people who are not ready for the return of the Lord they have good reasons to fear. They have good reasons to be afraid. They have good reasons to hide in the rocks and the mountains and say, cover us, because judgment is coming with that. And sometimes we hear the Baptist friends of ours, you know, say, if you died today, would you go to heaven or to hell? Right? I'm not sure that's the best way to witness, but that's okay. Some people do that. And one of the things about that is that there are many things that we can do today to prevent ourselves from dying most of the time. Now, at the end, you know, we all die sometime, and we can't always prevent that. But if you do enough of safety things, you're not as likely to die, right? So you can do something about things so you don't die. And you can have all kinds of ways to, you know, sort of escape dying. Uh, sort of, not completely. Okay? But is there anything at all that you can do to prevent Jesus from coming again? Anything. Nothing. You know, when Jesus decides to come back, there is absolutely nothing you can do to change that. So perhaps a better way to witness is if Jesus returned today, would you be ready? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? If Jesus came 
five minutes from now or this minute. Would you be ready? And if you're not. I'd be delighted to help you get ready. I think it's the most important thing you will ever do in your life. To be ready. For his coming. It could be today. I don't really expect it to be today, but it could be. And in the hour that you think not, that's when the Son of Man cometh. He will come like a thief in the night. And Jesus said, if the good man had known what hour the thief would come, he would have done what? He would have stayed up, right? He'd have prepared. If you knew, if you had very good reasons to believe, if somebody sent you a note that you had reasons to believe that there was a gang of robbers going to come to your house tonight at one o'clock in the morning and rob you and kill everybody, what would you do? you probably prepare, right? You probably call the police and tell them, hey, I got this threat. You know, somebody, there's a gang of guys coming. I, I think it's for real. Uh, could you get some people around here and help catch those bad guys? Yeah, probably would. Well, be ready. Be ready because Jesus is coming. I'd like to read a verse from Second uh, Peter. And maybe Earl's going to preach on this someday, I'm not sure. But I, I like this verse, so I'm going to share it this morning. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. That's fact. That's not just somebody's idea that's going to happen. Verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of, the, of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. If you know that's coming, how should you live? You see, every man that hath this hope in him does what? Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So Jesus is coming. Are you ready? I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 25 now. Matthew 25. And here we have another little passage that I'd like to read. Matthew 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. 
But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh! Go you out to meet him! Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. Afterward also came the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch, therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now, that is a story that Jesus told, a story that we all know. A story that we know the meaning to. A story that we are, I don't have to necessarily explain to you this morning. You know that Jesus said, I'm going to come back again. That's all common knowledge for you. And yet there are people living who just put it off, put it off, and put it off, and they are not ready. They have no oil in their lamps. Whether they had oil ever at once time or not, they didn't get enough. And what all that means, I'm not going to explain all of that today. There's a lot of thoughts about that. But the main thing is the bridegroom, Jesus, is coming. He's coming. And according to this parable... People who are uh, expecting his coming. The virgins that were going to go to the wedding. The people who were waiting for his coming. I guess that would be the church. Right? And half of them. We're foolish. That's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? It's a little hard to wrap your mind around. Could you imagine this morning? I hope this is not true. But could you imagine, just to get your minds rolling here, that the bridegroom came this morning and half of us We're not ready. Would that not be a tragic thing? Half of you. I don't know which half. I don't think it would be this half or that half, you know. It's probably all through. But imagine for a moment that half of you woke up at the bridegroom's call 
and you realized my soul is empty. I have no oil. And the bridegroom is coming. And I don't know how to light my lamp. That would be tragic. Folks, if you wait until the bridegroom comes, it is too late. It is too late. Now is the time to make sure that you have oil in your lamp. All ten of these virgins could have had oil. All ten of these virgins could have been wise. All ten could have gone into the marriage and rejoiced with the bridegroom. And according to other uh, analogies given in the Bible, actually become the bride. That's a little bit where this story sort of loses a little bit. But you, every one of you sitting here this morning, have the opportunity to prepare, to get your oil, and to eventually become the bride. Jesus is coming. Do you like that picture? That's something that I think we ought to really work on. Make sure that you're ready. Okay? And again, if you're not ready, or you don't know how to get ready, I'd be delighted to help you. Let me add another dimension to this. Jesus is coming. How about if I add the word Zacchaeus? What goes through your mind? You see what? Do you know who Zacchaeus was? Yeah, come on. You all know that, right? And what do you see? A little man in a sycamore tree, right? Yeah. We sometimes sing that little song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I don't know how wee little, but he was little enough that he had difficulty seeing in a crowd. I'd like you to turn to that in Luke chapter 19. This man brings us to another dimension of Jesus coming. Luke 19, I'll start reading at verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And... He sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. 
I think I'll no, I'm going to read the rest of it. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. All right, so let's just think about this man of Zacchaeus for a little bit. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a hated publican, a Jewish man who sort of left Jewish mainstream for money. He found it easy to be a man who would go around and collect taxes for the Roman government. And uh, it paid good. Never mind the fact that it made all your friends mad at you because you were working for the hated Romans. Never mind the fact that your relationships were destroyed. Money pays good, you know. Surprising what people do for money. And Zacchaeus was one of these people who apparently wanted money. That or else maybe power. Maybe Zacchaeus enjoyed the power of saying, you must pay me. And if you don't, I'll get the Roman guard after you. I mean, he had the Roman guard behind him. If he said, pay your taxes, man, you're going to pay your taxes. Right? Something about that power is, I don't know, to us human beings, attractive, sort of. Perhaps Zacchaeus was that way. I don't know. All of that is surmisings. I don't know exactly what Zacchaeus was like. We just know that, we know for sure that he was little. And that when he got in a crowd, he experienced difficulty seeing things because he was little. And people pushed him over and, you know. And Zacchaeus learned from his circumstances how to cope with that. He learned that he didn't like to be in the middle of a thronging, pushing, shoving crowd. Wasn't fun. Couldn't see anything anyhow. But he wanted to see this man called Jesus. Somehow he had heard something about Jesus. Somehow he knew that Jesus was a very, uh, how should we say, interesting person. Someone who was very different. Someone who he really would like to have seen at least just once. And so, in order to do that, he ran, you know, when the call came, when the, when the children were all saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. Zacchaeus, really? I'd like to see him. I'd like to see this man. And here comes the crowd. And Zacchaeus looks at the crowd and he goes, 
penetrating that crowd for me is just, it ain't going to happen. I mean, I'm just going to get shoved and trampled on and it's not going to happen. And quickly he thinks of something else. He thinks, I got to, I know what I'll do. I'll climb a tree. They ain't going to push the tree over, right? You know, trees are pretty tough and the crowd doesn't push a tree over. If I climb a tree, I get to see Jesus. So he climbs up into that tree, climbs out on the branch, perhaps over top of where Jesus is going to come through. Here he can see Jesus. I don't think he was at all expecting what was going to happen next. At all. All he knew was, I want to see this guy at least once. I want to see what he looks like. He did not know that Jesus was looking for him. I want to assure you this morning, if you have an interest in seeing Jesus, Jesus has an interest in seeing you. And just like as Jesus passed under the sycamore tree, and he looked up and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Just like that. If you're interested in seeing Jesus, Jesus is interested in seeing you. He is. Okay? If you're not ready to do that, or don't know how to do that, I'd love to help you. Um... Recently, maybe two weeks ago, I had a little distance to go for business, driving the car, you know, a little while. And uh, when you get to be my age, uh, just driving down the road with nothing to do but drive can get sleepy. I don't know if any of you have that problem or not. But... If I'm driving all alone, nothing to do, my mind gets, you know, slows down and I start getting sleepy. Maybe that's just part of my age. Anyway, in order to take care of that, I, I put on uh, some Bible tapes. I thought, well, we're going to redeem this time and I'll put some Bible tapes on. And uh, I decided to play the Gospel of Mark. Before I started, I began to think, you know, well, I'm going to do something special this time. I'm going to just try to hear this story again as if it was the very first time I heard it. Now, I know I've heard this story ever since I can remember anything. You know, I grew up going to church. My father was a preacher, you know, so I got to hear it. I don't know, thousands of times at least. But I want to hear it again as if I had never heard it before. And just think about this man called Jesus. It was a most rewarding experience. You go through and you listen to the things that happen one after another. And somehow... You just have to fall in love with this man. 
This man who came to earth and he went about doing good to everyone. I, I just fell in love with him all over again. This man who would come to somebody and he would lay his hands on him and cause him to see. That's awesome, isn't it? How would you feel if you actually met a man like this? Who could come up to someone, you know, if you had a stiff leg and you couldn't, couldn't bend it. And he came up to you and he saw your stiff leg and he said, I'll make that right. And all of a sudden your leg would work. You know? Wow! If you ever saw that, would you be impressed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This man who could lay his hand on your ear and you were once deaf and suddenly you could hear just like everybody else. This man who could fix your eyes. I don't know how many of you think how special that is, but, you know, without glasses, I'm half blind. I I can see blurs out there, you know. I see all, there's people here. But uh, without my glasses, I can't even tell who this man is in the front bench, um, front chair here. I mean, I know who's there because I had my glasses on a little bit ago. I know Earl's sitting there, but without my glasses, I can't even tell that's Earl. I, I don't know who that is. I can't see. That's how some blinds are. Some people are more blind than that. Some people are so blind they can't even see blurs. But I know, I know for a a sure that as partially blind as I am, if any man came along to me and touched my eyes and I was like, what do you do, put contacts on? You know, suddenly I was able to see like this without any glasses, you know, I mean... Uh, I would be impressed. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I'm sure you would be. Jesus came into this world to show himself for who he is, to show his nature, to show his fullness to you, to make you to understand his fullness. Oh my, time's getting away. Got to hurry this up a little. Okay, so just cut a little bit of that. All right. How many of you would recognize Jesus if you saw him? Who's this? This Jesus? I think I heard somebody say, yeah. That's what that represents, sure. Is this what Jesus looked like? How many think so? Oh, you don't think so? You know, this is just an artist's idea of what Jesus looked like. We don't know if Jesus looked like that or not. Probably not. In all probability not. Because everybody looks differently, right? And so the probability that he looked like this is next to zero. Okay? Okay? 
So, if you were to want to see Jesus, how would you know if you saw Jesus? What does he look like? If Jesus came in this church today, in this building, sat down in one of these chairs, would you know him? Think you would? How many think you would know him? Might not. How many of you know, that's just sort of a little bit of a bunny trail there. How many of you know of Leo Tolstoy? Anybody know? Okay, author. Good. Leo Tolstoy is regarded as one of the greatest authors of all times. I don't know if I agree with that entirely or not, but he's a great author. He lived in Russia in the 1800s. He lived before Lenin and Stalin and the and the uh, Communist Revolution. So it's way back there in the 1800s. And he wrote a short story called Where God Is or Where Love Is, God Is. How many of you know that story? A couple of you. Okay. It's a great story for those of you who have heard it before. I'm sure you won't mind hearing it again. I've read it many times. It thrills me every time I read it. And for those of you who didn't hear the story, I think it'll be very thought-provoking for you. It's a short story. I don't know normally read stories in messages. But since this story has a great deal of scripture in it, I think you'll be blessed. So here goes. Where Love Is, God Is by Leo Tolstoy. In a certain town, there lived a cobbler, Martin, by name. He had a tiny room in the basement. And the one window of which looked out onto the street. Through it, one could only see the feet of those who passed by. But Martin recognized people by their boots. He had lived a long place, time in the place and had many acquaintances. And there was hardly a pair of boots in the neighborhood that had not been once or twice through his hands. You remember, he's a cobbler. So he often saw his own handiwork through the window. Some he had resold, some patched, some stitched up, and to some he had even put fresh uppers. He had plenty to do, for he worked well, used good materials, did not charge too much, and could be relied upon. He could do a job by, if he could do the job by the day required, he undertook it. If not, he told the truth and gave no false promises. He was well known and never short of work. Martin had always been a good man, but in his old age, he began more to think about his soul and to draw nearer to God. While he worked for a master, before he set up his own account, his wife had died, leaving him with a three-year-old son. None of his elder children had lived. They had all died in infancy. For At first, Martin thought of sending his little son to his sisters in the country, but he felt sorry to part with the boy thinking it would be hard for my little Capitan to grow up in a strange family. I will keep him with me. Martin left his master and went into lodgings with his little son. But he had no luck with his children. No sooner had the boy reached an age when he could be a help to his father and be a support as well as a joy to him, he fell ill and after being laid up for a week with a burning fever, died. 
Martin buried his son and gave way to despair so great and overwhelming that he murmured against God. In his sorrow, he prayed again and again that he might too die, reproaching God for having taken his son he loved, his only son, while he, old as he was, remained alive. After that, Martin left off going to church. One day, an old man from Martin's native village who had been on pilgrim for the last eight years called on his way from the Trista Monastery. Martin opened his heart to him and told him of his sorrow. I no longer even wish to live, holy man, he said. All I ask of God is that I may soon die. I am now quite without hope in the world. The old man replied, You have no right to say such things, Martin. We cannot judge God's ways. Not our reasoning, but God's will decides. If God willed that your son should die and you should live, it must be best so. As to your despair, that comes because you wish to live for your own happiness. What else should man live for? Asked Martin. For God, Martin, said the old man, he gives you life. You must live for him. When you have learnt to live for him, you will grieve no more, and all will seem easy to you. Martin was silent a while, and then he asked, But how is one to live for God? The old man answered, How one may live for God has been shown us by Christ. Can you read? Then buy the Gospels and read them. And there you will see how God will have you live. You have it all there. These words sank deep into Martin's heart. And that same day he went and bought himself a testament in large print and began to read. At first he meant only to read on holidays. But having once begun, he found it made his heart so light that he read every day. Sometimes he was so absorbed in his reading that the oil in his lamp burnt out before he could tear himself away from the book. He continued to read every night, and the more he read, the more clearly he understood what God required of him and how he might live for God. And his heart grew lighter and lighter. Before he went to bed, he used to lie with a heavy heart, moaning as he thought of his little Capitan. But now he only repeated again and again, Glory to thee. Glory to thee, O Lord. Thy will be done. From that time, Martin's whole life changed. Formerly on holidays, he used to go and have tea at the public house. He did not even refuse a glass or two of vodka. Sometimes after having had a drop with a friend, he left the public house, not drunk, but rather merry, and would say foolish things, shout at a man or abuse him. Now, all that sort of thing passed away from him. His life became peaceful and joyful, 
He sat down to his work in the morning, and when he had finished his day's work, he took the lamp down from the wall, stood it on the table, fetched his book from the shelf, opened it, and sat down to read. The more he read, the better he understood, and the clearer and happier he felt in his mind. It happened once that Martin sat up late, absorbed in his book. He was reading Luke's gospel, and in the sixth chapter he came upon these verses. To him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And from him that taketh away thy cloak, withhold not thy cloak, coat also. Give to every man that asketh thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. He also read the verses where our Lord says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid a foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently on that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation built a house on the, on the earth against which the stream did vehemently beat. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. When Martin read these words, his soul was glad within him. He took off his spectacles and laid them on the book, and leaning his elbows on the table, pondered over what he had read. He tried his own life by the standard of those words, asking himself, Is my house built on the rock or on the sand? If it stands on the rock, it is well. It seems easy enough while one sits here alone and one thinks one has done all that God commands. But as soon as I cease to be on my guard, I sin again. Still, I will persevere. It brings such joy. Help me, O Lord. He thought all this and was about to go to bed, but was loath to leave his book. So he went on reading the seventh chapter about the centurion, the widow's son. And he answered to John's disciples. And he came to the part where the rich Pharisee invited Jesus to his house. And he read how the woman, who was a sinner, anointed his feet and washed them with their tears. And how he justified her. Coming to the 44th verse, he read, And the woman, and turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath wetted my feet with her tears. And wiped them with her hair. Thou gavest me no kiss. But she, since of the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. But she hath anointed my feet with ointment. And he read these verses and he thought. He gave him no water for his feet. Gave no kiss. His head with oil he did not anoint. And Martin took off his spectacles once more and laid them on his book and pondered. He must have been like me, that Pharisee, he thought to himself. He thought only of himself, how to get a cup of tea, how to keep warm and comfortable. Never thought of his guest. He took care of himself, but for his guest, he cared nothing at all. And yet, who was the guest? Why, it was the Lord himself. If he came to me, should I behave like that? 
Then Martin laid his head head on his both arms and before he was aware of it, he was asleep. Martin, he suddenly heard a voice as if someone had breathed the word right above his ear. He started from his sleep. Who's there? He asked. He turned around and looked at the door. No one was there. He called again. Then he heard quite distinctly, Martin, Martin, look out into the street tomorrow, for I shall come. Martin roused himself, rose from his chair, rubbed his eyes. He did not know whether he had heard these words in a a dream or awake. He put out the lamp and lay down to sleep. Next morning he rose before daylight and after saying his prayers, he lit the fire and prepared cabbage soup and buckwheat porridge. Then he lit the samovar, put on his apron and sat down by the window to his work. And as he sat working, Martin thought over what had happened the night before. At times it seemed like a dream. At times he thought he had actually heard a voice. Such things have happened before now, he thought. So he sat by the window looking out into the street more than he worked and whenever anyone passed in unfamiliar boots he would stoop and look up so as to see not the feet only but the face of the passerby as well. A house porter passed by in new felt boots then a water carrier. Presently an old soldier of Nicholas Rain came near the window spade in hand. Martin knew him by his boots which were shabby old felt ones goulashed with leather. The old man was called Stepanich A neighboring tradesman kept him in his house for charity. His duty was to help the porter house, or the house porter. He began to clear away the snow before Martin's window. Martin glanced at him and went on with his work. I must be going crazy with age, Martin said, laughing at his fantasy. Fancy, Stefanich comes to clear away the snow, and I must imagine, I must needs imagine that it's Christ coming to visit me, old dotard that I am. And yet after he had made a dozen stitches, he felt drawn to look out of the window again. He saw that Stepanich had leaned his spade against the wall and was either resting himself or trying to get warm. The old man was old and broken down and evidently not, had not enough of strength to even clear away the snow. What if I called him in and gave him some tea, thought Martin. The samovar is just on the boil. He stuck his awl in the place and arose and putting the samovar on the table made tea. Then he tapped on the window with his fingers and Stepanich turned and came to the window. Martin beckoned him to come in and he went himself to open the door. Come in, he said, and warm yourself a bit. I'm sure you must be cold. May God bless you, Stepanich answered. My bones do ache, to be sure. He came in, first shaking off the snow, lest he should leave marks on the floor and began wiping his feet. But as he did so, he tottered and nearly fell. Oh, don't trouble to wipe your feet, said Martin. I'll wipe up the floor. It's all in the day's work. Come, friend, come sit down and have some tea. Filling two tumblers, he passed one to his visitor and pouring his own on till a saucer began to blow on it. Stepanich emptied his glass and turning it upside down, put the remains of his piece of sugar on the top. He began to express his thanks, but it was plain that he would be glad of some more. Have another glass, said Martin, refilling the visitor's tumbler with his own. But while he drank his tea, Martin kept looking out into the street. Are you expecting anyone, asked the visitor. Am I expecting one, anyone? Well, now, I am ashamed to tell you. It isn't that I really expect anyone, but 
But I heard something last night, which I can't get out of my mind. Whether it was a vision or only a fancy, I can't tell. You see, friend, last night I was reading the gospel about Christ the Lord, how he suffered and how he walked on earth. You heard tell of it, I dare say. I've heard of it, answered Stepanich, but I'm an ignorant man and not able to read. Well, you see, I was reading of how he walked on the earth, and I came to that part, you know, where he went to the Pharisee who did not receive him well. Well, friend, as I was reading about it, I thought now that that man did not receive Christ the Lord with his proper honor. Suppose such a thing should happen to such a man as myself. I thought, what would I not do to receive him? But that man gave him no reception at all. Well, Friend, I was thinking of this. I began to doze, and as I dozed, I heard someone call me by name. I got up, and I thought someone was whispering, Expect me, I will come tomorrow. This happened twice over. And to tell you the truth, it sank so into my mind that, though I'm ashamed of it myself, I kept expecting him, the dear Lord. Stephanie shook his head in silence, finished his tumbler and laid it on the side. But Martin stood it up. And again, and refilled it for him. Here, drink another glass, bless you. And I was thinking, too, how he walked on earth and despised no one, but went mostly among common folks. He went with plain people and chose his disciples from among the likes of us, from workmen like us, sinners that we are. He who raised himself said, shall he, he said, I'm not yet. He who raises himself, he said, shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be raised. You call me Lord, he said, and I will wash your feet. Who would, he who would be first, he said, let him be the servant of all, because he said, blessed are the poor, the humble, the meek, and the merciful. Stephanish forgot his tea. He was an old man, easily moved to tears, and as he sat and listened, the tears ran down his cheeks. Come, drink some more, said Martin. But Stephanish crossed himself, thanked him, moved away his tumbler, and rose. Thank you, Martin, he said. You have given me food and comfort for both the soul and body. You are very welcome. Come again another time. I am glad to have a guest, said Martin. Stephanish went away. Martin poured out the last of the tea and drank it up. Then he put away the tea things and sat down to work stitching the back seam of a boot. And as he stitched, he kept looking out of the window, waiting for Christ. Thinking about him and his doings, and his head was full of the sayings, of Christ's sayings. Two soldiers went by, one in government boots, the other in boots of his own. Then the master of a neighboring house in shining goulashes, then a baker carrying a basket. All these passed on. And then a woman came up in worsted stockings and peasant-made shoes, she passed the window but stopped by the wall. Martin glanced up at her through the window and saw that she was a stranger, poorly dressed, with a baby in her arms. She stopped by the wall with her back to the wind, trying to wrap the baby up, though she had hardly anything to wrap it in. The woman had only summer clothes on, and, and even they were shabby and worn. Through the window, Martin heard the baby crying, the woman trying to soothe it but was unable to do so. Martin rose, and going out of the door and up the steps, he called to her. My dear, I say, my dear, the woman turned, heard and turned around. Why do you stand out there in the, with the baby in the cold? Come inside. You can wrap him up better in the warm place. Come this way. The woman was surprised to see the old man in the apron and with his spectacles on his nose calling to her, but she followed him in. 
They went down the steps, entered the little room, and the little old man led her to the bed. There, sit down, my dear, near the stove. Warm yourself and feed the baby. Haven't any milk. Haven't eaten anything. I haven't eaten nothing myself since early morning, said the woman. But still she took the baby to her breast. Martin shook his head. He brought out a basin and some bread. Then he opened the open door and poured some cabbage soup into a basin. He took out the porridge pot, but the porridge was not ready yet. So he spread a cloth on the table and served the soup, only the soup and the bread. Sit down and eat, my dear. I'll mind the baby. Why, bless me, I've had children of my own and I know how to manage them. The woman crossed herself, sitting down at the table, began to eat. While Martin put the baby on the bed and sat down by it, he chucked and chucked and having no teeth, he could not do it well. And the baby continued to cry. Then Martin tried poking him at, at him with his finger. He drove his finger straight at the baby's mouth and then quickly drew it back and did this again and again. He did not let the baby take the finger in his mouth because it was all black with cobbler's wax. But the baby first grew quiet, watching the finger, and then began to laugh. And Martin felt quite pleased. The woman was eating and talking and told him who she was and where she had been. I'm a soldier's wife, she said. They sent my husband somewhere far away eight months ago, and I have heard nothing of him since. I had a place to, as a cook till my baby was born, but when they, but they would not have me keep with the child, would not keep me with the child. For three months now, I have been struggling, unable to find a place, and I have had to sell all that I had for food. I tried to go as a wet nurse, but no one would have me, for they said I looked too starved looking and thin. Now I have just been to see a tradesman's wife, a woman from our village is in service with her, and she promised to take me. I thought it was all settled at last, but she tells me not to come until next week. It's, it is far to her place, and I'm fagged out, and the baby is quite starved, poor mite. Fortunately, our landlady has pity on us and let us live lodge free, else I do not know what we should do. Martin sighed. Haven't you any warmer clothing? He asked. How could I get warm clothing, said she. Why, upon my last shawl for a sixpence yesterday. Then the woman came and took the child, and Martin got up, and he went, looked among some of these things, and they're hanging on the wall, and br- that were hanging on the wall, and brought back an old cloak. Here, he said, though it is a worn out old a worn out old thing, it will do to wrap him in. The woman looked at the cloak and then at the man, and taking it, burst into tears. Martin turned away, and groping under the bed, brought out a small trunk. He fumbled about it in it, and again sat down opposite the woman, and the woman said, Lord bless you, friend. Surely Christ must have sent you to the window, else the child would have frozen. It was mild when I started, but now see how cold it has turned. Surely it must have been Christ who made you look out of your window and take pity on on me, poor wretch. Martin smiled and said, that is quite true. It is he who made me do it. It was no mere chance made me look out the window. And he told the woman of his dream and how he had heard the Lord's voice prompting him to visit him that day. Who knows? All things are possible, said the woman. And she got up, threw the cloak over her shoulders, wrapping it around herself and around the baby. Then she bowed, thanked Martin once more. Take this for Christ's sake, said Martin, and gave her sixpence to get her shawl out of pawn. The woman crossed herself, and Martin did the same, and then saw her out. After the woman was gone, Martin ate some cabbage soup, cleared the things away, and sat down to work again. He sat and worked, but did not forget the window. And every time that a shadow fell on it, 
He looked up at once to see who was passing. People he knew and strangers passed by, but no one remarkable. After a while, Martin saw an apple woman stop just in front of his window. She had a large basket, but there didn't seem to be many apples left in it. She had evidently sold most of her stock. On her way back, she had... On her back, she had a sack full of chips, which she was taking home. No doubt she had gathered them at some place where building was going on. The sack evidently hurt her, and she wanted to shift it from one shoulder to the other. So she put it down on the footpath, and placing her basket on a post, began to shake down the chips in the sack. And while she was doing this, a boy in a tattered cap ran up, snatched an apple out of the basket, and tried to slip away. But the old woman noticed it, and turning, caught the boy by the sleeve. He began to struggle and trying to free himself, but the old woman held on with both hands, knocked his cap off his head and seized hold of his hair. The boy screamed and the old woman scolded. Martin dropped his shawl, not waiting to stick it in its place and rushed out of the door. Stumbling up the steps and dropping his spectacles in a hurry, he ran out into the street. The old woman was pulling the boy's hair and scolding him and threatening to take him to the police. And the lad was struggling and protesting and saying, I did not take it. I did not take it. Why are you beating me for? Let me go. Martin separated them. He took the boy by the hand and said, Let him go, Granny. Forgive him for for Christ's sake. I'll pay him out. No, she says, I'll pay him out so that he won't forget it for a year. I'll take the rascal to the police. Martin began entreating the old woman. Let him go, Granny. He won't do it again. Let him go, for Christ's sake. The old woman let go, and the boy wished to run away, but Martin stopped him. Ask the granny forgiveness, he said, and don't do it another time. I saw you take the apple. The boy began to cry and to beg pardon. That's right. And now here's an apple for you. And Martin took an apple from the basket and gave it to the boy saying, I'll pay you for it, granny. You spoil them that way, the young rascals, said the old woman. He ought to be whipped so that he should remember it for a week. Oh, granny, granny, said Martin, that's our way, but it is not God's way. If he should be whipped for stealing an apple, what should be done to us for our sins? The old woman was silent. And Martin told her the parable of the Lord who forgave his servant a large debt and how the servant went out and seized his debtor by the throat. The old woman listened to it all and the boy too stood by and listened. God bids us forgive, said Martin, or else we shall not be forgiven. Forgive everyone and the thoughtless youngster most of all. The old woman wagged her head and sighed. That's true enough, she said, but they're getting terribly spoiled. Then we old ones must show them better ways, Martin replied. That's just what I say, said the old woman. I have had seven of them myself and only one daughter is left. And the old woman began to tell how and where she was living with her daughter and how many grandchildren she had. There now, she said, I have but little strength left, yet I work hard for the sake of my grandchildren. And nice children they are, too. No one comes out to meet the children, to meet me but the children. Little Annie now won't leave me for anyone. It's grandmother, dear grandmother, darling grandmother. And the old woman completely softened at the thought. Of course, It was only his childishness, God helping him, she said, referring to the boy. As the old woman was about to hoist on, 
the sack onto her back, the the lad sprang forward, saying, Let me carry it for you, Granny. I'm going that way. The old woman nodded her head and put the sack on the boy's back, and they went down the street together, the old woman quite forgetting to ask Martin to pay for the apple. Martin stood and watched them as they went along talking to each other. When they were out of sight, Martin went back to, to the house. Having found his spectacles unbroken on the steps, he picked up his awl and sat down again to work. He worked a little but could not see to pass the bristle through the holes in the leather and presently he noticed the lamplighter passing on his way to light the street lamps. It seems time to light up, he thought, so he trimmed his lamp, hung it up and sat down again to work. He finished off one boot, turning it about, examined it. It was all right. Then he gathered his tools together, swept up the cuttings, put away the bristles and the thread and the awls and taking them down the lamp, placed it on the table Then he took the Gospels from the shelf. He meant to open them at the place he had marked the day before with a bit of Morocco, but the book opened at another place. And as Martin opened it, his yesterday's dream came back to his mind, and no sooner had he thought of it than he seemed to hear footsteps. As though someone were moving behind him, Martin turned around, and it seemed as if people were standing in the dark corner, but he could not make out who they were. And a voice whispered in his ear, Martin, Martin, don't you know me? Who is it? muttered Martin. It is I, said the voice, and out of the dark corner, Stepanich, Step Stepanich, who smiled and vanished like a cloud to be seen no more. It is I, said the voice again, and out of the darkness stepped the woman with the baby in her arms. And the woman smiled and the baby laughed, and they too vanished. It is I. said the voice once more and the old woman (coughs) and the boy with the apple stepped out both smiled then they too vanished and Martin's soul grew glad he crossed himself put on his spectacles and began to read the gospel just where it had opened and at the top of the page he read I was unhungered and you gave me meat I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger, and you took me in. And at the bottom of the page he read, Inasmuch as you did it unto one of these, my brethren, even the least, you did it unto me. And Martin understood that his dream had come true, and that the Savior had really come to him that day, and he had welcomed him. That was a good story, wasn't it? Now turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. In verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit on the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from the another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, 
and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from ye, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. <clears throat> for I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to the least of these, ye did it not to me. And all these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. <clears throat> now that was not a parable. That is what Jesus said the kingdom of heaven was like. I'm sure you have heard people say, oh, don't take it personally. You've heard that, right? But according to this passage, Jesus takes everything personally. Just really think about that. According to the story that we've had, Jesus was coming to old Martin. And Martin met him, blessed him, and didn't recognize him. Martin will be one of these men who Jesus will say, I came. And you gave me what I needed. Martin, in the story, recognized that. Do you recognize all the times that Jesus has come to you? Perhaps as you think back over your life, you think of times where Jesus has come. Maybe you have treated him well. God bless you. Perhaps you have not treated him so well. I don't know if you think of any of those times like that. But if you think of times where you have not done so well, think about what Zacchaeus did. When Zacchaeus realized that he was not doing well, he made amends. Amending whatever he could amend. And promising to go forward from this day forth a different man. What I leave with you today is 
Jesus is coming. He's coming to you every day. Every day, you meet people. Every day, you treat people in some way or form. Are you treating those people as you would treat Jesus Christ himself? Jesus Christ is going to take it personally. That's a very challenging thought. Would you know Jesus if he came? He doesn't look like this. He doesn't. He looks like the people you meet every day. If that rattles your rafters a little, it rattles mine too. It's a pretty challenging thing to live life every day before everybody in this way. But I bring to you what Jesus said. I don't bring to you my experience or how well I've done. I have not done all that great. I realize that. But I bring to you the fact that Jesus is coming every day to you. He takes personally the things that you do and say. And someday, he's going to personally come also. Personally. Coming in the clouds. And before him, all people will answer for the things that they have done in the body. I hope that has challenged you, blessed you. It has me.